0: Hey listeners, welcome to Real Talk with Simply Tor, where we have real, raw, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations around working while maintaining our mental health or lack thereof. I am your host, Tor White. Today, I have the amazing Stephanie Hicklin Beckman with me. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Tor. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me. Awesome, thank you for being here. So, um, Stephanie moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Asheville, North Carolina in 1997, and has been attached to theater in one way or another since 1999. Though she is proud to say that she has worked with most of the theater companies in Western North Carolina as an actor or director, Stephanie has lent her voice to several projects, including reoccurring gigs with In The Moment, as a screen actor, as well as a voice actor. She is currently the voice of Granny Underwood on the Old Gods of Appalachia podcast. Over the last 12 years, she has devoted the bulk of her time to Different Strokes Performing Arts Collective as the company's founder and managing artistic director. Different Strokes is the first company in residence at the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts in downtown Asheville. That is absolutely amazing, Stephanie. I know we met. What that was? COVID. I think COVID
1: had just started. It was sometime around there because we were in masks. We were exactly. Out, we were out at a coffee shop, so it was it was a little bit after because I didn't go out that first few months. So it was sometime in in twenty one. Okay. I think. Well, I know it was. Yeah,
0: it, it hasn't been long, but. Um, so Stephanie, tell us, you know, anything about yourself other than what I have already stated.
1: I am also the mother of an 11 year old, which is a challenge in and of itself. Um, <laughs> I've been married for 13 years. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to talk about myself outside of the theater company. So it's really weird. It's like when you become a parent, how you can only talk about your child. I'm right about the theater company. It, it's like nothing else really exists. So I love those things. I have a couple of hobbies that I don't really have time to do much with. Like I love photography and I love to paint, but I don't find myself having the time to do those things as much as I would like.
0: Wow, I had no idea you did photography and painting.
1: It's, yeah, they're, ha- they're hobbies. You know, I started doing them maybe around the same time I started the theater company. So I took a few classes, had fun with it, did a few shoots, and then ran out of time. You know how that goes? Yeah, you know, sometimes our hobbies become, you know, our hobbies
0: yeah. in, in another life.
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was probably some well-known, famous photographer in my last life or something.
0: You know what? I say the same thing when I call myself crafting. And I get buy a bunch of stuff, do it for a little while, and then like, yeah, I don't have time to do this anymore.
1: And you have a whole lot of stuff sitting in your garage or your basement or in a corner of your room somewhere. Exactly.
0: So, Stephanie, what made you start Different Strokes Performing Arts Collective?
1: Oh, my goodness. So um, we live in Asheville, North Carolina. And probably when I moved here, there were about 17% Black, I think, is where we were then. Now we're somewhere around nine. But even at 17, it was pretty low. And the theaters here were very, very white dominated. And I was trying to be an actor. I had done some acting in high school and then went into the business world. And then when I moved here, I decided I wanted to get back into it. Felt like that's pretty decent. And it was so hard to get cast. I would even have directors say to me, or at least one said, you know, I would really, really love to cast you, but I can't match you on stage. No other black people have auditioned. So I don't really know how I would be able to use you. Wow. And hearing that is difficult. And then finally, um, I got cast as a lead in a show, and the first thing the reviewer said was, There's a striking new face on the stages of Asheville, but suspend, if you will, that a black woman could be the headmistress of an all girls school in Connecticut in nineteen I think it was nineteen forty or whatever. So that struck hard, too, because I've always felt like an actor is an actor is an actor because we're doing made up things anyway, even if when they're based on true stories, it's still a fantasy world because Uh we're people, so we're still playing parts. So the fact that he turned into a racial issue instead of talking about the play hit really hard. So after those things happened a few times, I complained to my mom a lot. She's my best friend. And finally, she said, baby. I know it hurts, but you don't get to keep complaining if you're not willing to do something about it. And that hit me. So a couple of years later, I found myself directing a play and then feeling like now it's time to make a difference. It's time to make a a company out of this because if I felt that way and if I had those experiences, there are other people of color in this town who have the same experience and who have stopped acting or pursuing it because of those reactions to their auditions or to them showing up at the theater. So I started Different Strokes, and the main goal of Different Strokes at that time was to diversify the performing arts in Western North Carolina and to change some perspectives. So that's how we got started.
0: That's amazing, and it makes me think of just even thinking back to recent where it came out, the new, um, is it Hallie? Oh, I can't think of her, her last name, uh, Bailey, where she's the new mermaid. Uh, yes. You know, and then where with Star Wars and just everything where it's, for whatever reason, people still struggle with seeing black people in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently in LA a few months ago, and I was able to participate in a panel discussion with um, some producers, some Hollywood producers, and they were all black male Hollywood producers. And one of the things they talked about a lot was that when you enter into the space of Hollywood, a lot of times as black creators, you're told what space you can walk into. Um, and how we need to start creating a lot more spaces for ourselves and making sure our kids know about lighting and directing and writing and acting. You know, all these different things that I didn't even think about. But when I was listening to them, I was like, you know what? It makes sense. And when people think of Asheville, like I'm born and raised in Asheville. And when people think of Asheville, they always think of it as this very diverse, and artsy town, but once you experience it, it's like no. There's a lot of um, issues at the at the surface, you know, like some some serious rooted issues.
1: When it's it very segregated to- and very very backdoor race. There's a lot of backdoor racism, that
0: right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know. Th- it's good as long as you're not trying to enter into my space. Yes. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes exactly. You can't marry my daughter. You can be right. My, you cannot marry my child. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. And I may not want you to be my neighbor.
1: <laughs> exactly. So exactly.
0: tell me, I know. So even before I asked that, with going through that, what was your mental space in going through um hearing directors tell you like, you know, yes, you're good at your craft, but the color of your skin is the issue. Um, how, how? What? What was that like for
1: you? Um. It was. It was. It was the most difficult thing that I had faced. I had lived in Kansas City, Kansas, which was very much before. I, so I lived in Atlanta, then we moved to Kansas City, Kansas when I was twelve, and so we lived there for about seven years. So I made it through high school there, then moved back to Atlanta to go to college and to work. So I had never really experienced that level of of racism, especially in regard to things that I felt very personal about and things that I was very passionate about, which acting was at the top of that list. So For somebody to tell me that I was good, which I had worked for a long time to be, for somebody to tell me that I was good at it, but I couldn't do it because of how I looked, that was a punch in the chest, like a huge punch. It literally hurt my heart. I felt it to my core and did a lot of crying about it and considered not acting. I considered just to keep on with my nine to five in corporate America and just let that dream go. And, and I always think about what stuff like that does to our children when we tell them that they can't do something because of how they look. I I can't imagine that I felt any different than a child would feel because you don't understand it. We understand racism intellectually, but our bodies don't understand it because it's not what we were built to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So how was it breaking into the space? Like, so once you realize, okay, I'm going to create my own space, my own company, how was it for you initially breaking into the world of, um, performing arts in Western
1: North Carolina. That's very interesting, too, because even when I found, and I'm not going to say that I broke in, I found a gap at the table, a little Mm. tiny gap, and I put my finger in it for a little while, and then I put my hand in it for a little while. And then an arm. So it was very gradual to kind of squeeze into that space, and it wasn't necessarily because I was meeting opposition. It was because I was afraid. Uh. I was afraid if and and just tell a brief story, which will tell you, which will tell you exactly what I was feeling like. I remember when my son was somewhere around two or three. we've always tried to introduce culture to him you know, throughout his life to put him in spaces that most black kids don't get an opportunity to be in. Like we traveled the world, we had fancy restaurants, all that kind of stuff. But even on airplanes, telling him, you got to be quiet. You got to be quiet so nobody knows you're here. Because not everybody likes kids. So if you make a whole lot of noise, you're going to disturb somebody. Right. Oh. So that's kind of what we would tell him so that he wouldn't play too loud or be too loud and, and just disturb the atmosphere. And I realized that that's the attitude that I was taking. I was afraid that since I had this tiny, even tiny place at the table, that if I made too much noise or made too much protest or talked about racism or talked about this or that, that I would be asked to leave or kicked out. So it was, it probably was not until being honest, not until. All that crap happened in 2020 um, with George Floyd and Armand and all of them. That I decided I'm 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 moving y'all out of the way. I'm taking my place, my full place at this table. But it was very gradual over the last 12 years. Mm. almost
0: basically, I'm reclaiming my voice. Like mm-hmm. it's my time now. Yes, yes. Um, that is amazing, and it makes me. It makes me just think back to my time with corporate America um, working for the federal government for 10 years and how a lot of times in spaces I would be the only black person Mm -hmm. at the table and then when we talk about being a black woman and then when we talk about being a young black woman with natural hair like it was just all these different things and a lot of times I, I came um to butt heads with people who mm-hmm. would want me to be quiet because they're like, you know, in order to get this higher position, in order to do X, Y, and Z, sometimes you just gotta learn to play the game. Yeah. And I think that to me, that's a trauma response. Yes. That we have to, we for whatever reason, we feel like we have to constantly play a game in order to create a that we're, quote unquote, welcomed into. Yep. Um, yep. And, I, and I think that that can no longer be the norm for us. I think that when we, when we stop allowing people to dictate the space that we're allowed to take up, we really come into who we are and we yes. showcase what we have the ability to do.
1: Yes, you know, um, our ancestors didn't fight as hard as... They played the game a lot. They fought really hard for us to be in this place where we are right now. They didn't fight for us to do the same thing that they had to do. So right. they cleared a path, and then we assume that path. They expect for us to continue clearing the path, and the only way we can clear that path is to speak up and to be authentic—who authentically who we are, you know? Mm-hmm. So what would you say to... um younger,
0: the younger generation, and trying to break into the space of performing arts, how, how would you encourage them to keep breaking down those walls?
1: Don't ask for permission. Just don't, do not ask for permission to do your craft whatever your art is, whatever form it is, don't ask for permission to do it. Just do it. Go there and say, this is who I am. And really you can't take no for an answer. And I don't mean that you stand there and say, I'm not leaving until you give me a chance. You go in and you say, I'm not going to let you destroy my dream. If I, can't, if I can't get in the door here, I'm going to go to the side door. I'm going to go to the back door. I'm going to go into the basement if I have to, if I have to drop through the roof, that's what I'm going to do. But you got to hold on to that passion. You can't let anybody destroy it. And eventually it's going to pay off. You just got to, you got to be serious about it and keep working for it. Mm -hmm.
0: That makes me think of Tyler Perry. I was listening to, um, I want to say an interview he was doing and he was talking about when he was creating his studio in Atlanta and you know, how he started off with, you know, just like low budget Mm -hmm. um, plays and he was like, you know, I was constantly being met with, you can't do this, you're not, not, you can't do this, you can't you do this. He was like, eventually I said, you know what, I'm going to stop asking, I'm just going to do it. Yes. And now he has the ability to put tons of people into the space um, and, and do it in a different way and showcase them in a different way. I know that at one point, um you know you well, I read about that in the bio being in residence with um the Wortham Center. Mhm. How has that been um in like you know just making sure that people know about different strokes and allowing other people to come in and start their acting career?
1: You know it's um being at Wortham has helped us in a myriad of ways. It's given us recognition for some reason where you do theater counts with people in this town. So we used to be at this small theater over on downtown on Commerce Street, very small. We were in there for about seven years and we would sell out audiences. We set about 40 people and it would sell out all the time. And so we were constantly adding more shows. Then we got to the Wortham and we kept the number of shows that we had consistently done like nine or 10 shows, but we were getting, we get more recognition there because Wortham uses their mailing list to publicize our shows. They use the marquee to publicize the shows. We get help from their whole staff. It's It's been really awesome to be there. And we launched last year a BIPOC student apprenticeship program. So we had we chose three students to come in and work with us, and we paid them to work with us. So they made the high school students made fifteen an hour, the the college students made twenty an hour, and we would guarantee them twenty hours a week to come in and work with us. But the problem is they weren't actors. We were trying to build up the technical, um, the, the, a technical staff. So just historically, there's not been a lot of black or BIPOC people in theater. We have more actors probably now than we ever did before but we're still lacking on lighting designers, set designers, sound designers, you know, technicians like that. So we created this apprenticeship just for those designers to to grow up with us and to be trained. We don't we didn't have a show going on because of COVID and we really don't have we have people who know how to do what they do, but not necessarily have the equipment or whatever to train folks. And since it was Wortham's Theater, they partnered with us with us on this to do the, the labor hours. So the students would be assigned to the set director there or to the lighting designer there, and they would shadow them and learn about the craft from them and be able to talk about it. So it's, it's, Wortham has helped us to, to con- continue to grow BIPOC artists and designers. So that's been really awesome that we wouldn't have had the opportunity to create this program without Wortham giving us um, their staff to do it. And in exchange, they got the hours. They got these students who could do like like smaller things and they could tend to the bigger requirements of their job and then gradually start to grow. So they worked with them for about three months. So it was pretty awesome. That is
0: awesome. And then let's just take a pause and talk about the fact that you were able to pay them at a rate that most places are still not paying people. Um, you know, fifteen dollars an hour, twenty dollars an hour is a lot when there's still people out here with families making seven fifty or nine dollars an hour, you know? So that's absolutely amazing. It's
1: important Um, for us to pay a living wage, and we had a grant that allowed us to be able to do that. We used, we diverted grant money for act to bring actors in and house them. We diverted some of that money toward that program.
0: That is awesome. So, do you have any shows or anything
1: coming up? We open Blood at the Root on um, next Thursday, which is August twenty fifth. Blood at the Root is a play written by uh, a. award-winning playwright named Dominique Morseau. Um, She is one of the most produced Black playwrights in the country. So it's been an honor to do her work. And it's a, it's based on um, the Gina Six. Um, it's a court case that happened back in 2006 where six Black students were arrested and charged with attempted murder for a fight that broke out in as a result of nooses being hung from a tree.
0: Oh, wow. All right. That's a show I definitely have to see. Um, can you? T- I'm sorry.
1: It's powerful. Yes.
0: Can you tell um, the listeners where to find you and to find out more about the show?
1: All right. Our website is differentstrokespac.org. P-A-C as in Performing Arts Collective. So this differentstrokespac.org. And it will tell you how to buy tickets. It'll give you more information about the company. Um, You'll see my bio there. You'll see the shows that we have planned for this year. Everything will be there on that website. Um, We're on um, Instagram and Facebook also, and it's different strokes AVL.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for taking time out with me today. I think we had some very valuable conversation. I look forward to having you back again one day in the future. Anytime. Um, To my listeners, you can find me at simplytour.com or at bizradio.us. Until next time. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.